Welcome to SEO 101, your introductory course on search engine optimization. So, turn on your computers, open your minds, grab your mouse, and get ready to get back to the basics. SEO 101 on webmasterradio.fm is now in session. Is now in session. Hello and welcome to SEO 101 on webmasterradio.fm, episode number 344. This is Ross Dunn, CEO of Stepforth Web Marketing, and my co-host is John Carcutt, the Vice President of Strategy for Reflexive Media. Today, we have a special episode for you. We are interviewing Mike Blumenthal again, Chief Delegation Officer at Get Five Stars and co-founder of Local University and, and Get Five Stars. <laughs> How you doing, Mike? <laughs> I am doing great. Hey, Mike. You forgot officially known as Professor Maps. That's his favorite one, I think. It's my favorite one for Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and remind everyone why? It's the only nickname that has ever stuck more than a few minutes. So interesting. <laughs> and remind everyone why it's uh, Professor Maps? Well, I was given that name by Aaron Wojcicki and Mike Ramsey. It was half in jest and half serious. I, you know, I spend a lot of time staring at Google Maps and Google Local. Uh, part of every day, I just look at search results. I don't do anything productive. And when <laughs> I, so that's part that part of and that has turned into a vocation for me. And then when I present, I have a tendency to be somewhat pedantic. So I think that they were uh, poking me a little bit about how boring I can be. <laughs> <laughs> never well, boring. Never. Never. Boring. No. And today is going to be nothing but exciting. Um, <laughs> so it is going to be an episode on local SEO, uh, first with our guest here today. So what we're going to do is start with a bit of local news. Uh, we've uh, gone ahead and stolen directly from uh, uh, Mike's blog. As you know, uh, we, we work hard for our info here, and uh, he's already done the work, so let's milk that. Um, so the first uh, first one up here is that uh, uh, the title is Google updates Google My Business websites to include posts as they pass 1.25 million sites created. So uh, first of all, um, <laughs> Google My Business websites, uh, what are they? So they're a single-page website that uh, essentially automatically created for small businesses, was created by Google to focus on the next billion users, i.e. those in countries that don't have well-developed web environments. So this product was originally developed for India and Malaysia and Indonesia. Uh, it's super easy to build a website with. And... Um, but what we see is about 25% of the websites created on, and they've been building, let me step back, it was first released in June, and 5,000 of these have been coming alive every day, day in and day out since then. So they quickly passed the million. When it first came out, it was sort of minimum viable product for somebody in a, a developing country, mobile first website, single page. But Clearly, with the addition of posts, it's, we're now adding the ability to to have a sort of mini blog associated with it that can have more nuanced detail about events, coupons, and all the things that posts are good for. So it's a product that I think any web designer needs to keep their eye out for because it started out as a, you know, not powerful enough for most businesses, but with a few more features, it might be. And... Um, so it's, I think it's something that SEOs need to keep their eye on. So, how, do, how, do these, how do these sites do in comparison to like a, a site built by designer, the, the traditional sites we think about? Yeah, it, well, it's, it, 
it doesn't do that well in default mode. I mean, it doesn't have any control over title tags and meta description content. It's a single page only with now with with posts you can add more content, but it's a single page website, so it's not easy to develop a lot of content. But it evolved out of a product called Apitas, which was created in Seattle in 2014. Google bought that company, and that product was a automated web builder for the restaurant industry that allowed a restaurant to create a nice six, eight-page site and automatically integrate with OpenTable and uh, Grubhub and all of these services. So it integrated a lot of automated services. So the pedigree of the product is a very sophisticated site building Mm. A product, and and it's ideal product. Like I said, that services small businesses that typically don't have a website yet. I think if a business, for example, has just a Facebook page as a website, it would make a whole ton of sense for them to get a Google page as well. But I don't. At this point, it's not a replacement for a well done, well designed website. But mm. doesn't mean Google doesn't have their eye on that market too. So if these were to show up in rankings, would they show up only in a local local pack or would they actually show up in organic? No, these these exist at business.site, the domain business.site. So they can be, unlike the local data for the knowledge panel, these are indexed by the, mm. by the bots. So they could show up given that there's no significant control over title tags and meta description and there's only one page of content it's hard to get them to show based on relevance, but one presumes if you did some basic link building, you'd be able to do it reasonably well as you could with any single page site. Uh, Like I said, right now it's a niche in in the developed world, a very small niche for businesses. For example, if you were running an SEO company or you were just getting started in business and couldn't afford anything more, I I think it's a viable place to start. Sounds like it has a good shot at doing, if you had a unique business name, of at least being able to show for brand type searches, you know, to give a little bit of presence. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Well, it's, uh, uh, I mean, there's been a number of discussions over the years about Google, because they've done websites before, haven't they? And and they fizzled, right? Yes. Or something similar. I I think they maybe have had three or four website building products, uh, and they haven't done well. This, though, if you can see the arc of this is quite strong and quite powerful. And it's clear, came out in June, so this is the first update. It's clear it's on some sort of updating uh, development cycle, which means that in six months or a year from now, it might be more powerful and more useful. But as it is, it serves the real entry-level business uh, to, to get them online and for Google to learn more about that business. So I can just imagine the question I'm going to be getting <laughs> very soon. If I haven't actually had it yet, but it'll come soon. Would there be any benefit if we had this as well as our website? Yeah, as much benefit as any orphan page on the web. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> which is which is no. I mean, there's no in- Google doesn't give these any preference over any other web page. It's just a single page. It, you can link from it to someplace else, but unless you're going to go to the trouble of building prominence around this page organically, then it wouldn't do you any benefit. If you're going to build prominence around a page, why do it around this page? Why not do it around your site? It's the question I get 
mm, at least every two weeks. Right. I mean, usually it's I met met by quite resistant, quite a bit of resistance. Clients are convinced they're going to use all these domains they bought years ago to build other sites. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so hard to convince them that it's not worthwhile. I, I, re- I recently convinced a a prospect. They're not a client yet, but a prospect who has has under the impression that it would be really beneficial for them to take all the content on their site, divide it up into categories, and put each of the categories on its own subdomain and get rid of all the content on their primary domain. Oh, put it all on subdomains i don't know where the, these ideas come from but it's it's amazing what they think of uh, probably some of that content that, that's out there that uh, still doesn't have a date on it i hate that i hate seeing content like that unless it's truly evergreen it should not be like that and I, you see it so often um yeah anyway okay well the next one up here is that uh, and this actually i really i really appreciated this uh, it's a nice update is that google my business is now officially supporting video uh, now, for those out there who uh, don't know anything about this, of course, we'll get into a little more, but um, this is this video is only available in the company details. This is kind of like, you know, you can post some video about your location, right? Correct. It's, it's, it gets associated with the knowledge graph for that business, so it gets uploaded either by customers or by the business and is visible when somebody clicks into the photos. Although on Twitter today, I noticed that the Google My Business support team noted that there is a problem with the upload feature, so you can upload it, but they're not showing. <laughs> Engineers are working on it. It's obviously a bug. So, uh, so, so what's the difference, Mike? So we've been able to add video to a business listing for a long time. What's the difference between what we used to be able to do and what we're they're supporting now? What's the difference? Well, there has no been no. Uh, in terms of Google My Business, you've been able to add video to, say, Google+, Plus, but not to the knowledge graph. Mm-hmm. You've been able to add video to YouTube, and that might be associated with a local account and mm-hmm. visible through Google+, Plus, but it wasn't visible in the knowledge graph. So this is video that gets uploaded. Google separated Google Local from Google+, Plus over the last three years, somewhat painfully, mm-hmm. and <laughs> yes. now... Local doesn't have its own page anymore. It just exists as data in the knowledge graph, and Google then calls that up and inserts it into the web results at an appropriate time. And previous, so for the last two years, you had the ability to add still photos, and you could add 360 images, street view images, but you could not add video. This is a new feature to allow both consumers. first came out for consumers in August on Android only, and now is being made available to the businesses through the Google My Business dashboard to be uploaded okay. to their knowledge graph. So it's kind of like a throwback to Google Plus. Hey, you can do video now again. Uh, it it, it, it brings that feature back, but unlike Google Plus, which never showed up in the main search results, this has a sh- shot at showing up on hmm. brand search and certainly in local finder. So it will get much more exposure than Google Plus ever got. Hey, have you seen it? Have you seen that happen yet? Has it shown up? They're still kind of hard to find, and because of this uploading problem, even harder to find. So, <laughs> but if you click through, if you call up a brand, do a brand search on a local business, and they, and you click through on their images, yeah. you will see it in that gallery. Typically, I haven't seen it show up more obviously than that. But and I would expect that it has to only be of the environment. It can't be a promotional video. That's a great question. Um, Google 
I'd have to go double check their guidelines. I can't. This is new for the business. I don't know if they've written guidelines yet. Okay. Um, I mean, from where I sit, Google is giving you a fair bit of exposure in local. And the goal with that is to increase conversions. And so I think you really need to think of it in terms of what serves the customer better in terms of them making a decision to do business with you. I mm-hmm. doubt it would be crazy Eddie shouting about the deal. Yeah, like the, the one thing that I would probably think would be a good idea would be um, one of my favorite types of videos, which is, you know, if it's a, a person, a, a personal brand or, or something, or even um, there's a particular figurehead, that person speaking about their business, about the business and what. Find everything okay? Whenever you shop Meyer, you shop for your entire community. You help support practices that reduce energy consumption and the amount of food that goes to waste. You help support the next generation with a best-in-class clean diesel truck fleet and partnerships with groups like the Alliance for the Great Lakes. Whenever you shop Meyer, you get more than what you need right now. You get what we all need for tomorrow and years to come. Thanks for shopping with us. Learn more at Meyer.com. I might be a benefit. So not overly like, buy this now. <laughs> it's... Hi, this is who I am, and welcome to our business, and that kind of thing. Might be something that they'd accept, but I, again, I know we don't know that yet, right. but be, that'd be great. It's limited to 30 seconds, although I've heard that people can squeeze a few seconds more in. <laughs> I'm sur- not surprised someone has tried. <laughs> Everybody tries to get everything they can. <laughs> That's great. Okay, well, let's uh, take a quick break. We come back, we'll, we've got one little more piece of news, and then we'll Go jump into our interview on uh, Google My Business Q&A. We'll be right back. SEO 101 will be back right after recess. Hello, I'm Hector Elizondo, and I want to talk to you about getting older. My body hurts, my joints ache, and sometimes I forget. I forget that doing all your own scenes for a movie isn't always the best decision, especially when you're galloping high speed on a horse named Archibello. So yes, my body hurts, but it's not because of my age. It's because I'm living my life. Don't let life pass you by. Take care of your brain health. It may just help you stay on top of your game. Oh, Archibello! Learn more at brainhealth.gov. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. There are over 70 million active podcast listeners in the U.S. WebmasterRadio.fm reaches them all with the largest global distribution of any online business-to-business podcast network. Through iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, we can target and place your message in front of those active listeners immediately. Now, your message can be delivered with less commitment and investment on over 20 hours of weekly original content hosted by the most respected names in digital marketing. Email sales at webmasterradio.fm today and get your message delivered now. Okay, class. 
Take your seats and no talking. Recess is over and SEO 101 is back in session. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Welcome back to SEO 101 on webmasterradio.fm. Hosted by John Carcutt, the Vice President of Strategy for Reflexive Media, and myself, Ross Dunn, CEO of Stepforth Web Marketing, Inc. We're joined by special guest Mike Blumenthal, the Chief Delegation Officer at Get Five Stars and co-founder of Local University and Get Five Stars. So, so we were discussing before we started, I thought it was interesting enough to add, I, I just love some of these new, these new uh, concepts. So moviepass.com, uh, I had never heard of this, but apparently you both had, um, probably because I'm in Canada and we don't see this stuff, but uh, tell me a little bit about the play that they're doing here, Mike. They are selling monthly subscriptions with two movies where user can pay $9.95 a month for an unlimited number of visits to the movie theater. They have sent, they've sold, they have currently have 1.5 million paying subscribers at this 995 price. <laughs> and 500,000 of those coming in the last 30 days. Wow. They, it's a data play. They pay full retail for the tickets and they make their money selling information and targeting the users. So with this, they learn a lot about the demography of the buyer and they're able to do hyper-targeted local promotions, nearby restaurants, perhaps the soundtrack associated with the movie, (laughs) those types of promotions around people who've gone to see a specific movie. It's genius. I mean, yeah. you, you heard certainly, John, of a, a downside. <laughs> Why are you fill yeah. in on that? Well, it's, so there's there's a lot of people studying this model. Um, some people say it's not sustainable. Um, really, I guess it kind of depends on how well they can sell that data. But there's also the fact that the traditional movie theaters um, – while they say they like the subscription model, they're not. They can't get behind what MoviePass is doing, and AMC has actually um, started a lawsuit against this. Kind of tied to the fact that they're trying to position it as these guys are reselling their tickets, and the tickets have some language on them saying they're not for resale. I'm not sure how that works, but uh, it's going to be really interesting to see where this goes. Uh, the subscription model for movie theaters, the first one of the major chains that takes this on, I think, and does it and does it well, um, it, it'll catch on. But having a third party come in and try to do it to the movie industry without really getting the buy in of the theaters, it, it, it's going to be messy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just I wonder what the cost is to do the advertising, you know, because we're, t- we're talking many to many business owners right now, uh, whether or not this is of any interest to them and what it would cost. I mean, where I guess the place you'd show up would be on their site when people are going there or mm-hmm. when they get the pass. I don't know. It's very interesting. I haven't actually used a service. It's conceivable to me that they uh, require a mobile phone number because it's a mobile, mm-hmm. mobile app. Mm-hmm. And you may have to give them permission to text you so it's conceivable that promotions could come in by a text or by email or by the app by the app itself with alerts yeah. yeah and i really think the the idea that you talked about mike where they're selling the data on the back end is going to be the only thing that makes this sustainable i'm looking at an article from the verge right now that says so the average fee is 9.95 a month to, to, to join the service the average ticket price that's paid is $9.33. So if a, according to The Verge, if a subscriber would only need to attend two movies a month to put MoviePass at a loss. So they're not going to make this, they're, they're not going to have a sustainable model by 
using ticket price sales alone. They have to do that data play to make this even come close to sustainable. And, and so that's that's going to be where it really fleshes out. They got to yeah. be able to get that data. And also, like looking and reading in our one article here too, if if you know, based on that too, if they have any legal action, it's just not worth it. <laughs> I mean, at this point, it says I'll quote it here from uh, Business News Network. I think it is. Um, AMC Entertainment Holdings, the world's largest theater chain, is weighing legal action against MoviePass, so it's not doing it yet, over its low-cost cinema subscription, saying the service is unsustainable and bad for the industry. But they don't actually, uh, end quote, but they actually don't uh, have any problems with subscription programs. They just don't think this one is one they are, are cool with. I wonder why. Here's an actual quote from AMC. Um, We are actively working now to determine whether it may be feasible to opt out and not to participate in this shaky and unsustainable program. (laughs) They're not happy. Holy crap. So back in 2011, it was $50 a month. The first trial of MoviePass. Wow. They got down to $9.95. They must have a compelling business basis to do $9.95. Very interesting. So how, how does how does this play locally, Mike? So we we talk about this as a local business play, um, kind of, and, and this is SEO one on one. So how would we t- tap this back into search at all? What does this mean? Well, it's not so much a search play as it is a hyper local targeting play. It's another avenue that certain businesses could be able to take advantage of. For example, if you are the Applebee's across the street from a Carmike theater and you knew that um, your primary demographic was 35 to 45 year old married couples, you could highlight desserts after the seven o'clock show in the app of the user. So I don't see it so much as an SEO. I do see it as a marketing technique and they're trying to create a new marketplace of moviegoers. So if you can control the marketplace, then you don't need SEO. Yeah, that's yeah. great. And I guess part of their direct competition is going to be the apps that the movie theaters themselves have been pushing hard the past couple of years as well, right? That could be why the theaters are up against this, because they're going after that same kind of marketing play, and they become direct competitors from that perspective. Yes, and these folks are movie passes ending up with data that the movie theaters really want themselves so that's like the other reason they're unhappy mm-hmm. with it mm-hmm. i love ideas like this it's brilliant um it maybe problematic but it's still brilliant um <laughs> okay so uh, let's get into the the main subject of the, the call today um so mike you have been doing some uh research on google my business q a and uh, we talked about questions and answers the q a f- uh, function of google my business in the, in the last few shows um uh, essentially, it's it's an ability for um, anyone, um, but mainly, uh, well, I guess, we're uh, dreaming the business owner will go in there and post some questions and, and answers. However, um, it's designed to allow them to do it, but also potential clients to, or customers to go in there and add, add a question and get an answer from the owner or uh, someone else. That's the part that gives, makes me a little boggled because... Uh, how much control do they have over these answers of an owner if they don't like the answer? So you need to understand the origin of the product and why I think it's so important. So let me step sure. back to why I think it's so important. Yeah. In my research, I am seeing a shift of conversions from the local website to the Google local result. In other words, 
a new customer is looking for a new business or customers looking for a new business, they start their search on Google, they may go to Yelp, they may go to Facebook, they come back to Google, they make the decision right then and there, they click to call on mobile, they click the driving directions to get to the business. In my research, in a case study I did, 70% of, of critical key performance indicators, things like click to call, things like driving directions, were taking place directly on Google. These people were not coming to the website to do it. 25% were coming to the website. Another 5% were split up between Yelp and Facebook. So you need to understand in the big picture, Google is trying to provide more information to these users that are stopping, starting and stopping at Google and not going any further. And Google doesn't always offer up through the knowledge panel, which is the results that they extract from their knowledge graph from their database of local data that they show. Google doesn't always have enough granular detail to answer all the questions. So the consumer side of Google Maps, not the business side, developed this product as a consumer-facing product that the business could participate with, but there is no presence of this product in the Google My Business dashboard or in the API at this moment. So right now it's strictly forward-facing it does, like you figured out, offer up some real reputation risks to the business because it's crowdsourced. And anytime the crowd is sourcing information, it can go in your favor, it can go against you. I think the business needs to be aware of it. They need to engage in the conversation constructively. They can't hide from this because you don't want the conversation out of control. There is the opportunity to finally get to answer your question. I apologize for the long, <laughs> rambling way to get there. To answer your question is there is a terms of service or a user-generated content guide that Google recently published at Google Maps or in the, in the help sections on Google Maps that requires that these be um, you know, on topic, I, a real question, they not be defamatory or uh, advertising or personal. So they can be reported and if they are inappropriate, there's a, right next to them, there's three little dots. You click on the three little dots and up will re come a reporting function that then take, once you click that, it'll take you to uh, another dialogue that asks why you're reporting them. And those that have been in violation seem right now are being moderated fairly quickly by Google. They're coming down in 24 to 48 hours. Well, that's pretty good. Not bad then. Okay. Well, yeah, I uh, don't think it'll stay that good, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. So um, you covered a lot there, and, and I, I didn't get to every uh, one of your slides when you were you, you shared us a few bit of info here personally. But what uh, have we covered a lot of what was in that, or you know what exactly? Um, well, the first the first yeah. point I want to make is that it, it it's one it was sort of released in stealth in uh, August, mobile only, and just released to the desktop last month. So basically the exposure of it has doubled in the last um, 30 days. Also, Google is actively soliciting local guides to answer these questions through Android. So we think that usage of this will increase a lot. The other, uh, so we saw in my research when I, I did an analysis of 1800 locations across a range of categories. And in August, of the 1,700 locations, we saw three questions. In September, we saw 171 questions. In October, we saw 216 questions. In November, 227. December, we saw it jump to 417 questions. So clearly, there, 
the product is on a huge growth path um, going forward. And the other interesting tidbit is that it seems to vary a great deal by industry segment. So we worked with six different agencies who specialized in different aspects of local marketing. One who dealt with car dealers, one who dealt with employment agents, one who dealt with dentists, one who dealt with fast casual restaurants, one who dealt with the insurance industry. This is true, get five stars. And one who dealt with uh, plumbers and um, electricians. So, that, And what we saw was a big, huge difference. For example, uh, car dealers, 35% of all car dealer dealers had questions on their knowledge panel, whereas 14% of dental did and 3% of insurance agents did. So it varied a lot by market segment. When we looked at big box stores like Target, Home Depot, Walmart, Staples, almost 90% of those locations have questions on them. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I was looking at the dental segment here. Obviously, it's of interest to me when I had the business being a dental marketing company, but um, you mentioned here that uh, uh, the reputation type questions, it was 11%. Um, I'm surprised that's actually as that, as low as it is. Service well, offered was 32%. Huh. Interesting. Hey, hey, hey Mike. Yeah, sure, Sorry. go ahead, John. Sorry. Real quick question. The, the target one interests me with, you know, those big box stores and all those locations with questions. Is there a clear differentiation of questions related to a specific location versus the brand as a whole? Uh, they run the gamut. In the... Um, Large boxes, we saw less questions that violated the terms of service, more questions like, do you carry this product or how do I get in touch with the manager, those kinds of questions. Um, some of them were local in nature. When was this location built? Um, a lot of them were, were, were bigger questions about product lines they carried. Um, in, in the big boxes, we saw about 15% of the questions violated the terms of service. But as Ross was pointing out, in the dental segment, we saw a much bigger percentage, 23, 24% questions violated the terms of service mm. of Google and were eligible for being taken down. Of those, 11% were not reputation questions, but reputation comments. And some of them, and again, remember, these can show up on your right. brand search at Google. So in the auto industry, I saw this one. This is the worst experience I've ever had trying to purchase a vehicle online. Well, that's a violation of the terms of service. It's a statement, not a question. It's It, it doesn't really serve anybody's. And then, uh, and this was in the dentist industry. This one just made me fall out of my chair. Quote, why are there still drug addicts and thieves still working in this building? And why is the office manager covering for them? So it, it was a question, but it's not a question that any legitimate business would want on their brand page. Right. No. But, but did it technically violate terms of service? Well, I think it did get taken down within 24 hours. Now, here's another one. This one is even a little subtler. Does any other black person feel like this store is racist? Oh, my goodness. So... Um, I, that one hasn't been reported yet, so I don't know whether that'll come down. But these are questions that it, it's a, it uses an upvoting system. So the questions get ordered by the number of thumbs up that occur on a question. And if a question has at least one vote, it can show on the front page of the Google results or in the local search 
results. So a question can show very broadly on a brand search. Clearly, businesses don't even know this is happening. So when I saw this product come out and I saw that Google wasn't reporting on it to Google My Business users or to the API for enterprise users, I got I, I got my underwear in a bundle and <laughs> I felt like this was totally inappropriate and I went internally at Stars to advocate for a product that would report on this and alert people to these and give them a path to solve it because I see it, I mean, in the ideal world, the business engages with this in a constructive way and the customers given questions and appropriate answers to solve real questions that are stopping that customer from reaching out to the business. But in a, in, in a world in which any user can say anything they want and a business doesn't know about it, real brand harm can come and the conversation can rapidly get out of control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no doubt. Okay, let's, uh, uh, we have a little more to talk about here, but uh, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. SEO 101 will be back right after recess. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. WebmasterRadio.fm is the destination for education, entertainment, and engagement. Engage with our panel of on-air experts and peers by following us on Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can listen to WebmasterRadio.fm on air or on demand from our website or through iTunes, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts. Interact and stay informed. Just search for WebmasterRadio.fm. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Okay, class, take your seats and no talking. Recess is over and SEO 101 is back in session. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Welcome back to SEO 101 on webmasterradio.fm. Hosted by John Carcutt, the Vice President of Strategy for Reflexive Media, and myself, Ross Dunn, CEO of Stepforth Web Marketing, Inc. We're joined by special guest Mike Blumenthal, the Chief Delegation Officer at Get Five Stars and co-founder of Local University and Get Five Stars. So we were just talking about uh, Michael's uh, case study on uh, Google My Business questions and answers, and it's... uh, Pretty interesting to say the least, uh, just how much growth there has been in that area. Now, you were just uh, leading into what was going on with um, uh, a new release set to get five stars. Can you give us a little more info on what that does? As I sat down and looked at Google Q&A, I realized that there was no reporting. There was very little active notification for business owners. 
so I think that business owners need to have a plan to engage with this. The thing that they, they are missing is a, an ability to understand easily, particularly if they have more than one location, when they're getting questions, what those questions are, and how to report those questions. So we built a tool that scrapes the scraper, oops, um, that goes out and looks at these results and brings them into our dashboard for on a location basis. And we look for, along with reviews, we look for Google Q&A comments on your business. We then show how many people have responded to it, what the responses have been, what the votes are. We, we send out an email alert whenever we find a new question, whenever we find a new answer. And we then bring those into a dashboard. We give the business the ability to uh, search them, sort them, monitor them, and then very easily, a single click, get over to them in Google to either answer them correctly or to report them. Answering them correctly, we think, is critical because a lot of times local guides who get a point in the local guide scheme of things for answering them will provide a very simple answer to an answer that a business typically would want more nuance. Do you do custom design jewelry? The answer is more than yes or no. The answer is yes, and we provide you with a uh, physical mock-up before we build it, and you can see that and approve it. Whatever the answer is, it's more nuanced than yes or no. We're seeing a lot of local guides providing yes or no answers, which really don't help the, the customer really make the decision. Um, so we built a tool to, to deal with this glaring hole in Google's approach to small and medium and large businesses. Like I said, this becomes infinitely more valuable once you get beyond two, three, four, five businesses. Uh, it's, it becomes much more valuable because how can a brand manager, for example, even know this is happening if they're not monitoring it? So, mm. mm-hmm. <clears throat> so uh, at this point, so this would be grabbing that information from uh, like you said, it's scraping from the what people see in Google. It's not actually going in via API, right? Right. Google has not built an API yet. As soon as they yeah. do, we'll be the first to jump on it. But they haven't built any alerting system around this either. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, it occurs in a vacuum that businesses didn't know, don't know about the Google Q&A feature. Or they're just starting to realize it's there because it's just starting to show up on the desktop. And then how do they stay on top of that? So the, our product deals with those questions. Now, obviously our product should be part and parcel of a bigger plan. And I think that many businesses need to think about how they're gonna get in front of this to create a positive social context, a positive social environment so that the conversation is helpful, not hurtful to their brand. And I think that requires some thought too. I think that uh, the business needs to sit down and figure out what type of questions are actually being asked. I had a couple, I sat down with a couple clients and I said, let's go over your phone calls for the last two months. What are questions that people asked that if they knew the answer to, they would have come in without calling you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we had, had them write those down and then we posted them in the consumer voice. In other words, in the first person, I, instead of it from the business voice, we posted them at the Google Knowledge Panel for the business. Hmm. That's great. So, so I've got a question for you, Mike. So 
I personally have been really digging into voice search a lot recently, and it's 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 one of those things. It's it's where mobile was five years ago. It's just people just starting to get some attention, but even less than that is how voice search is tied to to local, right? And in, in the standard voice search, you can kind of connect it to the answer box, and there's a lot of the answer box things will come back as answers if you ask your Google Home the same question, that kind of stuff. Do you see any tie-in potentially in the long term? How the Q and A here could tie into voice search if i want to ask a business does my local target carry this product is that going to come from potentially a q a um we you know i did ask google this question i was invited out for the top contributor conference in early november generally there in a broad sense the response was we don't know how good the quality of the data is going to be but if the uh, but you can be rest assured that if they find good quality data they will use it so I think that it could be very granular data that they might not otherwise know about a business. And the example they gave when they were showing me the product was, does this bakery create gluten-free bread? And the answer would be yes, they create gluten-free bread. They have it in three different styles. So in that situation, it's conceivable that it would be a piece of information that otherwise Google wouldn't know and they would be able to return a search result around it. Whether that speaks to voice, I don't know. It does speak to a limited subset of answers that Google wants to deliver to the broad range of inquiries. Remember, they get 15% of every all queries every day are queries they've never seen before. So hmm. every local is generating a massive number of these queries because a lot of them are occurring. You know, they may start out at voice and then they end up at Google, but... So a lot of them are very long tail questions with a lot of words in them. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right. It could someday inform search results. I wonder if it, I wonder if it'll actually go to the next step and actually become a question from Google on behalf of people who have perhaps asked the same question a number of times through voice. Uh, I know there's a few steps away, but it's interesting enough. At this point too, the data is a little messy and, I don't know how they would make sense of it, but <laughs> they've got a lot of hardware and they've got a lot of capability <laughs> engineering. But for where I sit, the, the problem is, is shorter term, and the problem is is on two, three, threefold. One is you want your customers to call you, and so having this populated with good questions is certainly going to do that. You also want questions, customers to get answers to their questions. I noticed in 6% of the dental uh topics that were were there that they ex- thought it was a real-time system and they could make an appointment through it so there was some misunderstanding by users as to what it was for and there was some frustration because mm-hmm. of that which you don't want your businesses feeling i mean if that's the case in the dental industry you might want to consider about using the new google chat feature for that page if you're seeing these kinds of questions in your knowledge graph then maybe you want to turn on that chat feature so people can chat with you in real time. So I think there's some intelligence that can be gained from these questions as well. Have they enabled the, sorry, go on. Well, then I think that the business, after they monitor them, want to be sure that customers are getting adequate responses. So part of the plan needs to be, after you know that you've got this question, you look at what other people are responding. A lot of times you want to become the authority, I think you should become the authoritative voice to answer these questions in a more nuanced way. And then 
encourage your customers, encourage your employees, encourage your marketing people to upvote your question, the good questions, the one that show you in a good light so that they show more prominently. Mm-hmm. Does it make sense to, if you're a small business and you're focused on search and you're focused on social and you have this stuff and you've got a person already doing this kind of work on social to consider Q&A actually part of that social marketer's duties to kind of stay on top of those questions because they're already doing that in the social space. Right? Yes, yeah, so whoever is dealing with your review monitoring should be monitoring this as well. I think it's yep. part and parcel of the same. I mean, it, it like you said, it's a, it's, it's a little more social than reviews because there's multiple people can answer, there's upvoting, you can contribute to it, but it still is a... It, it affects your image. It affects how people perceive you. It's a conversation that's going on right now without most businesses that I think you want to engage with. So I would agree with you. Whoever's dealing with review monitoring and social monitoring should probably be dealing with this as well. And I see it as a great uh, add-on for agencies as well uh, as a possible packaging where they actually help the business write good questions. They help the business post them. They monitor Hopefully, using get five stars, they respond, they report the, and most importantly, yeah. they re, they report the ones that are violation of terms of service, so that you can keep the conversation on an even keel. You don't want the conversation tilting towards some of those examples I gave before. Is there a maximum number of questions that a business can have? No, Google currently has 101 questions on their uh, Googleplex knowledge panel. I don't okay. know what the maximum number is. There probably is a maximum number. I don't know what it is. Um, yeah. Someone's going to push that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Just as a note, I did an experiment on the Googleplex one. I, I, they had a, when I went there, there was 85 questions. And I found a question that I thought was interesting. And it was uh, a biz- somebody called me, said they were Google. They wanted $399 and threatened to take my listing off Google if we didn't pay them which is a recent scam that's been going around in local. And I responded that it was a scam and it wasn't Google, that you should ignore them. And then I went out on Twitter and I asked my good Twitter friends to upvote the questions and the answers. And now that question shows on the knowledge panel. So there is this problem that it's a straight upvote system, which means that it could be used for negative reputation work or it could be used for positive reputation work it's not hard to manipulate it again another reason why an agency or a business doing this for themselves would want to be monitoring it cringe interesting hope that doesn't see hope we don't see that happening that's it's always the worst trust me you we were already yeah. seeing it i know S- just, seos uh, seos don't do evil things what are you talking about <laughs> i'm dreaming i know well it's, it, along those lines it's another vector for for when a business goes viral, as Bedlam Coffee did in Seattle a couple months ago, this becomes another vector for haters who think they know something to post derogatory comments about the business. Yeah. So it does happen. Uh, and anything we've seen previously with reviews or social media will happen here as well. What's amazing to me about this, though, is it's a very high visibility it's a front page of Google. And so in that sense, are, it, it becomes more important almost than any other social presence a business has. Are, are you seeing these Q&As show up in any other types of knowledge graphs other than just business listings or business brands? So if you do, if you know, when you bring up a three-pack, let's say uh, jewelry, Waynesville, New York, 
and in there is Barbara Oliver. And you click into the three pack, you go into what's called the local finder where they're all listed. Mm-hmm. It shows up. It shows up in there associated with each business. So the two two places it's visible is in the local finder search associated with the business, and with the knowledge panel associated with the business. It does not get indexed and brought into the general organic web index. I guess I'm asking more along the lines of other types of in- entities that have knowledge graphs, like an album, um, you know, or an artist. Do, do, do the Q and A show up for other types of entities other than businesses? No, it's strictly around it's strictly around the place type uh, knowledge graph. Gotcha. Knowledge, okay. Knowledge I wonder if it ever will. Is this a <laughs> you know it, you know why do you like this album kind of questions or hmm. But I'm sure there's lots of forums where that information is. Anyway. But I think I think that's also. And, and Google has started uh, an upvoting process on movies, I believe. Um, yeah. So I guess we're seeing a little bit of that in the knowledge panel. So if you, uh, for example, if I just did a search on the post, which I saw over the weekend, and 75% of Google users liked the movie, so they are doing some. You know, not the full Q and A, but they are doing upvoting. And they just asked because we talked about you know, how SEOs don't do evil, but they could. It, it's potential to leverage this for for nefarious reasons. As it gets outside of businesses, that activity would probably expand exponentially mm-hmm. if it if it moves outside of the business. Well, I, I certainly say on behalf of my clients, thanks for building this into a get five stars. We use it and love it. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it online. When is it going to be available, Mike? We're releasing it a gen- to public uh, use for all people who have what's called a pro account. We have multiple levels of account. The basic account uh, includes five review sites. Um, the pro account includes email plus SMS plus 10 review site monitoring plus Twitter monitoring plus Google Q&A monitoring. So it'll be available uh, January 23rd, I believe, is the actual release date. So that, you know, all right, awesome. Next weekish. Next weekish. Yes, next yeah. weekish. <laughs> Perfect. Hopefully, at some point when they do add an API, knock on wood, um, they will add the ability to track when people make suggestions of changes on your profile as well. Ah, my pet peeve. I well, see. as a note, Get Five Stars does have an API for Google Q and A. So if you are a large brand or multi-location, and you have a dashboard and a little bit of programming savvy, you can bring this data directly into your own dashboard from our product. Very nice, very nice. Well, on behalf of myself, Ross Dunn, CEO of Stepforth Web Marketing, and John Carcutt, the Vice President of Strategy for Reflexive Media. Thank you for joining us today, Mike. Really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. I always enjoy talking to you guys. And and as you know, I'm always, I love talking. So you give me a platform, (laughs) I'll talk. And, and you know, and it wasn't boring at all. It was fascinating. So there you go. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I'm still gonna, but I'm still gonna call you a professor. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I uh, assume, I assume from your lips, it's a compliment. Yes, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, to all our listeners, have a great week, and remember to tune into future episodes, which air at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, every Monday on WebmasterRadio.fm. Thanks for listening, everybody.
The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.